This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 542 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show London Papa Michael. Now, London is a trainer in LA working with multiple types of athletes, including Steve Navarro, one of the top boxers in the country. But as you will hear, as with so many of my guests, he had a very challenging early life. So what's really inspiring about his journey is how when he turned that corner, his mindset shifted and he started attacking. He started being aggressive towards the goals, where he wanted to be. So before we get to this very powerful conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of over 500 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, London Papa Michael. Enjoy. Well, London, I want to start by saying thank you so much for reaching out and uh, coming on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show. It's a, it's an honor to be here, James. Well, I appreciate that. So where on planet Earth are we finding you today? I'm in Redondo Beach, California. So I was a, a California resident for several years down in, um, I lived in Burbank and then Huntington Beach when I worked for Anaheim Fire. Without loading the question whatsoever, how has your life specifically been this last 18 months? It's been extremely confining and difficult because I live in a place that is still not doing the best job, I feel, of letting people get back to living. But at the same time, I've been able to uh, weather the storm and learn a lot about myself and in the end, you always have to learn how to adapt, you know, and I've been able to still persevere and figure things out. And I'm very proud of that. But it's been a very difficult time for most of us, you know, and I don't shy away from that. But I take as an opportunity to continue to adapt, figure out who I am as a man and what I want out of life and try to be an example of how I think uh, we could do a better job and me included as, as people in our community, in the country and in the world. Absolutely. I think that's a very important part as we come out of this now, and we really are coming out of it, despite what people are saying, um, Amen. that we learn, you know, I mean, that horrible um, philosophy of history repeating itself. History shouldn't. If we learn and we read and we, we kind of understand the suffering of, of prior generations. So I think it's up to us, the people, to, you know, retroactively look at this last year and a half and be like, OK, well, this was done well. This wasn't done well and make sure it doesn't happen again. Absolutely, James, you know, and to be able to take an honest, hard look at yourself, you know, and it's hard to judge people if you really look yourself in the mirror and think about all the dumb things we've said or the thoughts we've had or the mistakes we've made out of arrogance or being mad or having your feelings hurt, you know, and to understand that it's just wasted energy. And the sooner we can all realize that we're a lot more alike than we are different, 
uh, the world's going to be a whole lot better place. And uh, it's really cool to be able to have a conversation like you and to be able to spread those kind of uh, this kind of message and the honesty about what's going on. Absolutely. Well, based on your accent, I'm assuming you weren't born and bred in Hermosa Beach. So let's start at the very beginning. Where were you born? And then tell me about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Um, so I was born in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My mom was originally from Ohio and moved to uh, Myrtle Beach at a very young age. So pretty much from there. And then my father is um, from Cyprus, a little island in the Mediterranean. He came to the United States for the American dream to have the uh, college education and to just have a better life, more opportunity. Again, you think about an island of, I'm 35 now, so 35 years ago of how different things were compared to a little island in the Mediterranean versus what's going on in a place like America. You know, it's like a dream come true. And uh, he came here and he had the American dream. He fell in love with an amazing woman. Um, they had me and life was great, James. I remember at a very young age, at three years old, of going to see Batman with my dad, feeling that love, feeling that support. You know, I had the the family that we all hope and dream for is seeing the movies. And it all kind of got taken away. My dad waited tables. He worked some other odd jobs while he was in college. My mom didn't work. She took care of me. And then he got a phone call one day and the family that was in his family in Cyprus said, hey, your father's sick. We need you to come back to the island of Cyprus and take care of the family company. We need your help. And as far as I know, um, he didn't um, waver at all and said, you know, had a talk with my mother and we agreed, you know, they agreed as a family. I was too young to make a decision and we picked up and left. But life was great again, James. I had all the love and the support. I had everything I needed and most of the things I wanted. And I just had it from in a, in a, a little island called Cyprus versus the American side. But we still went back to the States and visited. And I lived this ama amazing life of dual citizenship, of living in America and then living on a paradise island. But the marriage started to, to deteriorate for different reasons. And ultimately, um, it led to a divorce. And ultimately, my mom said, hey, I don't want anything from you except for just let me have the kids and go back to the States. I'm not worried about money. I don't want to fight with you. But obviously, we can't be together. And I'd rather be back in the home that I'm from. And things were good again, James. I just uh, live with my mom in the States. I came from, but this is where things changed a little bit. I lived in a trailer with 10 people versus living with a wealthy uh, father and a happy family. But the way I was raised, life, I didn't feel angry. I wasn't disturbed by it. I wasn't confused. I was just back in America living with family that I loved. There was food on the table, but there's times I slept on a floor. There were times that I slept on a couch or shared a bed with a family member. Again, I lived in a double wide trailer with 10 other people and my mom worked three jobs, but she made sure to provide that life for me that I was used to. And I'm forever grateful. And that taught me a lot about life and myself. Beautiful. Well, with Cyprus, I remember my parents, that was actually their trip. They would go on their own, leave us at home with, you know, babysitters or whoever it was at the time. Um, but that was a big destination spot for Brits. So, you know, you talk about your dad leaving Cyprus for the American dream. Well, there's a kind of irony because there's a lot of people that are in the UK and, and America that go to Cyprus on vacation. So talk to me about being a young boy in Cyprus and what that was like. It was paradise. You know, I remember just my dad being my best friend and I just remember never feeling much sorrow or pain or ever being sad. Just life was always good, man. My dad was this great human being that had awesome energy. He worked out. We played sports together. I didn't have a lot of friends from school. Not that I wasn't popular or kind or outgoing. I just thought my dad was so cool. I didn't care about any other kids. And I did go to a school that was 45 minutes away. So I went to an English speaking school. 
which was really cool. And I liked the way my parents set me up with that. And I wish I would have paid more attention to learning the language, but I was young and just didn't understand. But it was paradise. And my mom was this amazing, beautiful, loving mother. And we always had dinner together. We play cards together. Like it was the old dynamics of what you thought family was spending time together in the home, outside of the home, with, sometimes with my mom, sometimes with my dad, sometimes with us together but just cultivating this loving uh, relationship. And I just always felt so safe and, and happy and joyful. You know, it, it was, I'm grateful to know how amazing that can feel. And I still feel that in my bones, James, you know, and that's a beautiful thing that your parents can give you instill that kind of love and um, goodness in your life. But, you know, sadly, it just started to change once my parents' uh, relationship started to fall apart. And you got to understand these different countries or islands, things are different, James, and there's traditions and I definitely know that his family didn't like the idea of him marrying a blonde American woman, you know, and that I know had a strain on the relationship, not the only issue or reason why, but I definitely know it played a big part in that. And it's a shame, man. You know, and it's kind of what's going on today in the world, you know, how your son is in love with an awesome woman and they have a beautiful young boy. What else do you need to worry about? You know, like, why are we upset that she's not from Cyprus? You know, if he's happy, they're healthy. You know, come on, man. Life is weight gives us enough problems. Don't cause more of your own just because it didn't fall over the guidelines of where you're from or your beliefs. We got to move on from this because, as you can see, it just tears us all apart. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll hear, obviously, you know, a little bit more about that in a moment. But while we're on Cyprus still with your dad, he talked about playing sports together. What did that look like? What kind of sports are you playing at that age on the island? Um, we're definitely, I'm, I'm going to the gym with him. So I'm running around. I, I used, I remember going to the pool and uh, taking some laps and then I'd go uh, dry off and go try to work out with him, which was really cool. And again, that's something that's instilled in me to this day of weight training and working out, which we'll probably get into. And we'd always throw around the baseball. We'd always throw the football and we'd always go rollerblading. Those were kind of our three things. And uh, then we went to this really cool Island called Paphos where it has this clear water and the whitest sand and we'd always rent one of those boats to where you uh pedal like a bicycle and that would get you through the water whatever those are paddle boat or whatever and it was just you know a star skin hush these lethal weapon you know these two forming this bond you know and that's what's really made me who i am is having this bond with my father and then it's slowly being taken away from me you know like imagine loving so something so much and then it'd be just taken away from you like that. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm 35 years old and I still don't necessarily know why he's gone. Yeah. So speaking of that then, so you went back to the U.S. Um, your dad obviously was staying with with family at Cyprus. What was that relation, relationship, you know, kind of what was the dynamic? Because I know, you know, it, it. You one would think that the dad would then get to the U.S. a lot and then fly you over to Cyprus a lot. But um, from what I understand from previous interviews, that wasn't the case. Sadly, it wasn't the case. You know, we had good communication in the beginning where he'd send letters. We'd talk on the phone. I went back the uh, like two following summers and spent the month of August with him because he took a whole month of August off for himself and the family at the time. So I re definitely remember that. And it was like life picked off where it was, you know, and then just slowly through time. You know, we slowly lose contact. I can take ownership of that, too, you know, but also I'm a kid, you know. I just, you know, but he did always send a card for Christmas or my birthdays. But, you know, as a child, that's kind of tough communication, right? You're reading this postcard of your dad just writing a few, this little paragraph saying he loves you at the end, you know, and then, you know, thinking about how our relationship used to be. And then it just turns down to just being a, a card a couple of times a year. And 
my mom kind of became my best friend and my hero through this time. And ultimately, you know, we bounced around from living with uh, other friends, you know, before my mom could afford her own place. And then she started dating someone who later became my stepfather at the time. And uh, we lived with him and then they split up before they got married. And then we moved back with a friend in another trailer, you know, so it just bounced around. But again, my mom provided this love and this stability to be able to pay the bills you know, and provide a safe home, even though it wasn't our own home. And also, I'm grateful for those people that were kind enough to let us in their home. And don't forget, there's good people in the world and good people all around you, you know, and it's real easy to be blinded by that this day and age. But please don't, you know, have faith in humanity now more than ever. And ultimately, we slowly lost contact. And then long story short, I'm waiting tables where my dad used to wait tables at a sister restaurant. And this old, this customer that came in a lot that liked me ended up finding out that I was Pete's son, Petros's son. Matter of fact, he used to work with my dad at the restaurant in the college days. And he's like, man, how's your dad doing? And I'm a very blunt, honest person. I just try to be kind about it. But I said, hey, man, I don't talk to my father anymore. And later on through that night, he kind of, you know, we were close enough as a customer um, waiter relationship to where he was like, hey, I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I don't have a relationship with my father. And it's one of the biggest regrets of my life. If I can give you an advice of a, a man to a young man, I mean, no disrespect. You know, I don't know what's going on, but if there's an opportunity for you to amend that relationship or try to, I'd recommend doing it because it's something you don't want to live with. And I took it in a kind way and appreciated it. And I actually said, hey, man, I don't even have his number anymore. And he said, well, if I can try to find his number, will you call him? I said, if you find my dad's number, I'll call him. A week later, his son finds him on Google. So I call him. And we have the coolest conversation that every little boy dreams of that lost his dad. He's like, hey, man, I'm proud of you. I've been watching you through social media, through our cousins, because I'm not on there. I've seen you play football. I'm proud of you, the way you built up your body. I heard you're a good kid. I heard you have good grades. You know, and it was like, yes, my dad finally, you know, is proud of me again. He's in my corner. Where you been, man? I need you. And I'm a guy's guy. Again, my dad was my best friend, my hero, and to just all of a sudden just lose him like that. But then, you know, through the end of the conversation, James, you know, I said, hey, you know, uh, or he said, hey, I'm going to call you back this time. You called me and he never called. And I take onus on that, too. I never called again, too. But I thought my dad was going to call me and it hurt me. And then time goes by. We don't talk. And then high school graduation comes. I'm proud of graduating. I was a good kid, stayed out of trouble for the most part, was a really good football player, especially for my size. And I call and say, hey, I'm graduating. I'd love for you to be there. This is a big moment for me. And I finally want my dad to be a part of my achievements. He was never there in the stands cheering for me, watching play football. And I'm the type of man and boy, at the young man at the time, that's important to me. I would have loved to have that. My stepdad kind of tried to do it. Luckily, he didn't try too hard because that really would have drove me away. But he definitely didn't, wasn't my father and never was. And I always had my trepidations about him as well. And my mom did what she could. But a, a mother's love is not a father's love and vice versa, James. So and he denied coming to my high school graduation. And it broke my heart, you know, and we didn't talk for a very long time. And sadly, he didn't call me, I think, um, eight years later or years, however long it was, um, he called me when he found out my mother passed and we had a conversation and he pretty much didn't have anything nice to say about my mom. And I'm like, even if you're right about my mom's character, maybe if you are, my mom's about I'm about to bury my mom. I'm 25. Gabriella's 18. Kennedy's 10. I've got, you're not in my life. My ex-stepfather's not in my life. There's no life insurance. There's no money. And you just want to call me and say, hey, you know, your mom died. She wasn't a good person. So I pretty much told him to go screw himself. And I haven't talked to him since, James. 
Yeah, well, this, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, we'll get to, to your mother in a moment as well, because that's another, you know, trauma. But the, the early life stories of pretty much anyone that's come on the show, you know, pretty much every single person, not everyone gets to that point. Some are very short interviews and some, you know, don't choose to go there. And that's absolutely fine. I open a door and, and then people, you know, say what they'd like to say. But that trauma could be, you know, something horrific like, um, you know, a sexual molestation or something. But there's a lot of it that it's purely, you know, they were adopted and then they found out, you know, that they were adopted and then they actually finally tracked down their adopted parents and they didn't want to know, you know, or a lot of times, you know, one of the parents just up and left. And, you know, but we talk about what's going on at the moment, you know, with, with this last year and a half and seeing this division. And one big part is obviously being a parent. Now, you know, marriages fail. I'm, I'm divorced and remarried. Um, I'm a dad and I'm a stepdad, but our role, whether we're with the person that we made that child with or not, is to raise that child. And I see the ripple effect, the trauma of that abandonment and that f- internal monologue of why am I not good enough for my mom, my dad, my parents? What was the kind of, you know, when you go back and look now, what, what has that ripple effect been on, on the young London when you're looking through adult eyes? That's a great question. First thing I want to say is everyone out there listening, um, nobody's problems are better or worse. They're just different. Understand that, you know, um, try to compare. Oh, would it be more difficult if you watched your mom die slowly in the hospital versus her dying suddenly? Or, oh, you went, look. And again, my one of my biggest gripes with life, James, is we're so affected by what happens to us as children. And that's why it's so important to show love and just to show up for your kids and just let them know that you're there for them, you know, because we're so I'm 35 years old and I'm still suffering from what happened to me as a kid because I'm still the 10 year old kid that said goodbye to his dad for the last time. I'm still the 25 year old kid that said goodbye to his mom for the last time. I still suffer from that, but I'm putting in the work to overcome it. But since I started developing on that uh, chip on my shoulder, like for your question, you asked, um, it didn't bother me till once he said, Hey, I'm not coming to your high school graduation. And then it was like, what's wrong with me? You know? So I kind of developed this thing without realizing it. I never necessarily looked in the mirror and said, I'm going to try to be perfect. But when I look back and try to connect the dots, I tried to be perfect. If I could look really good, if I could speak well, if I could have a walk and I could be charismatic and I could make money and I could uh, have the body and all that and a good clothes and dress well, everybody would like me. Nobody would give up on me again. My, you know, they wouldn't leave me like my father, you know. And it was one of those things to where it, and then I built this kind of um, this armor around me that made me very cold. And I had a, a I would uh, change emotions quickly. I would get pissed off quickly. And I remember I was waiting tables during this tough time of losing my mother and, um, or even going through with my dad. And I would go in these, you know, these kind of uh, these moves to where I would really cut off from the world and be very sheltered and self-centered and not myself. And I remember my godfather pulled me aside and said, Hey man, you have such powerful of an energy in the way you wear your emotions on your sleeve. You can come in here and you can make everybody's night the best. And if you're not in a good mood, the whole restaurant can feel it. And it wasn't a disrespectful thing. It was like, Hey kid, you are a part of the workforce here and we can't have you, you know, making it an uncomfortable thing, even though you've been through some stuff, which is fair, you know? And also, hey, kid, I love you enough to like you need to realize what's going on and try to find a way to overcome this. 
Um, but it, it has, it was very difficult on me and it's something I still work on to this day, but I've will, been willing to look myself in the mirror and forgive myself and forgive my father, not from a religious thing. I'm not preaching about Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is about you. It's not about the other person. And to think like, for an example, if you're upset with your father, your mother, you know, or your ex, they're moving on with their lives and you're still mad and angry and not moving on with your life. Whether you have every reason to be upset about what life has done to you, you need to understand it might not be your fault what has happened to you, James, but it is your responsibility to do something about it. It's not my fault my dad left me, so to speak. It's not my fault my mom became an alcoholic. It's not my my fault my ex-stepfather you know, gave up on me and my family as well. But it is my responsibility to do something about it because I keep waking up every day and I want to find out if I can make the life that I want. And it's not such a sad story if I become something that I'm proud of. It's not such a sad story of my dad leaving me and my mom if I can keep moving on with life and figuring things out. And I've allowed myself that opportunity, James, and great things have happened, you know, through trial, tribulation and failure. You never fail if you learn. And I've been able to fall down and get back up because there's nothing special about me, folks. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the tallest, the fastest. But I was instilled. I have love in my heart. And I somehow developed a work ethic and a willingness not to quit. And when I do that, good things seem to happen. And I'm proud to be able to do that because when I do this, James, I heal by speaking to you. You know, and that's why my model is help others heal yourself. Because when I talk, it's like going to therapy, brother. It's taking weight off my shoulders by letting this out to the world. And the cool thing is, no matter your skin color, man, woman, what you identify as, your, your profession, we all know pain and suffering. But we also know that there's a way out. And if you don't, I'm here to let you know there is. Absolutely. Well, it reminds me of a couple of uh, um, analogies, I guess. But there was a guy called Wayne Dyer. And if you ever heard of him, but he was uh, an amazing person, sadly he passed away from leukemia a few years ago, but very, very spiritual. We take the wisdom from all the doctrines, all the philosophies and just apply it. It's kindness, compassion, forgiveness you know, the core tenets of, I think, what all all of them really subscribe to. But one of the things is, you know, um, with anger, he's like, when you squeeze an orange, an orange, what do you expect to get out? That orange juice. So when pressure is applied from the outside, what is inside you is what then, you know, is expressed. And I was like, damn it, that's good. And then I've had, and I'm sure a lot of people have as well, just like you said about fault versus your reaction. I've been cut up terribly on the road before. Someone, you know, like literally had to slam my brakes and almost made us crash. And I'm effing and blinded in the car. And then you realize the person doesn't even realize what they've done. And you're the idiot, you know, <laughs> red-faced and furious in this car. And that person's oblivious to even what they've done. So the only reaction is your reaction. So I couldn't agree more. Like you said, there's there's reason, but that's not excuse. And those two are very, very different things. Absolutely. There's a great, great quote by a guy that I apologize. I can't remember his name. He's on ESPN. He just won a couple Emmys. He's doing some great work. Um, African-American guy. But he says, uh, when you're, you know, in those tribulation moments and you're uh, stressed and angry, he said, don't raise your voice, raise your intellect. And I'm telling you, folks, that's the key to life. If you can manage your emotions when things come at you, because life's not going to stop for any of us. Even The Rock goes through stuff. Even regular guys, you know, and people that are famous aren't famous no matter where you live. Life is going to continue to happen to you. And it's up to you on how you respond. And I, I urge, strongly urge and recommend all of us to a better job of just taking a deep breath and taking a moment before you respond. 
because we're all guilty of doing, you know, what you shouldn't be doing in responses. Absolutely. Well, the audience as well, are, you know, the things they see, the, the shifts they work. I mean, we're a very, you know, overworked, underslept population. So, you know, I, I found it in myself. Even recently, I just went through another, <laughs> you know, cycle and it was like, God, here we are again. This is bizarre. I'm not even on shift anymore. I'm not a firefighter working right now. But uh, I, I agree 100%. Now, before we get to, you know, the, the, your adult journey and then, you know, moving on from there, when you were at that school age, at that point, what were you dreaming of becoming career-wise? Uh, great question. I was very clueless in my 20s, you know, because uh, that's when my mom's uh, marriage with my ex-stepfather was falling apart. I was in college, didn't want to be, you know, I didn't uh, concentrate on my grades enough. I only took the SAT once to try to play football somewhere. I could have played at a smaller school. Um, I was talented enough to do that, but I didn't have the grades, you know, and I was obviously, I'm, you know, I'm 5'7". I was 160 at the time and I was playing linebacker. So to play on the college level, no matter how good you are, I wouldn't have played that position at a big school. And who knows, I probably would have been a special teams guy and maybe like a defensive back, you know, at a smaller school. But so I was really lost. I wasn't angry about the football thing or, you know, upset with myself about it. I was just like, all right, I accepted my time was over. But I remember going to school and not being excited about it. You know, I went to the local tech school and thankfully, you know, I didn't go to the bigger school because it would have been a waste of money. I did well in the classes that I liked or when I had a really good teacher that you could tell they loved what they were doing. I had two great teachers in college, I remember. And I was started hanging out with the wrong crowd, never did any heavy drugs, but I smoked a little bit of pot, drank a lot. Definitely, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, and I apologize that uh, definitely drank and drove a little too much um, in my younger days that I'm still embarrassed about and very fortunate. Nothing ever happened except for I did knock out a mailbox on the way home once and my ex-stepfather caught me and rightfully so disciplined me. And uh, that was definitely a huge wake up call for me. Um, but I, I didn't know. I just know that I wanted to live a good life and I always felt like uh, I was destined for more than just living a regular life. And I don't mean that as anything's wrong with that. I just thought I always could do more than just, you know, um, settling, if that makes sense. But I never had a vision of what I wanted to do. And I was so consumed by uh, my, I didn't have a, even have the opportunity to dream about those things, James, because my mom went through the second divorce and ultimately it kind of, she started kind of falling apart. So I had to play this father figure role. I took my sister to school in the morning because my mom couldn't wake up from drinking all night, you know, and I'm getting up early in the morning, driving my sisters to school. I'm helping pay bills, man. I'm 20 some years old. You know, I'm in my early twenties, you know, providing food, you know, paying the electric bill, paying the cable bill. And then also I'm trying not to get mad. I'm trying to understand this. I'm trying to be understanding my mother. I'm also trying to protect it and not let everybody know, you know, and I'm also trying to understand how my hero, the strongest person I know, my mother is somehow all of a sudden falling apart and I got to figure this out. So I didn't have time to think about me, man. I couldn't think about being a 20 year old and going to the club or dating women. I was trying to figure out to make much money as I could waiting tables trying to figure out how to save my mom and keep my little bit of the family that I had together, which is me, my mother, Gabriella, my sister that I have from my father from Cyprus. And Kennedy is the youngest sister, which is from my mom's second marriage with my ex stepfather. Yeah. Well, it's so hard, you know, listening to these stories over and over again, because there's a, there's a domino effect. You know, I'm sure if you reverse engineers your, your mother's childhood, there was trauma there. 
and you know that that kind of you know build the layers and layers and layers of of, of trauma whether it's the first divorce second divorce you know the the stuff that happened when she was young you know again these these people hit the walls and then these children are exposed to it and then usually one of two things happen they follow the same path or like you and many people on the show at some point they realize all right this the buck stops here but that's a very very hard thing to do when the momentum is is pushing in the other way 100 percent, man you know and it's it's so difficult to fight something that you don't know how to fight there's only so much information at that time. We're talking almost 10 years ago. You know, I'm looking into intervention stuff. I'm doing research on my own. I'm also angry, James. I'm resentful. You know, what's going on, you know? And then, you know, I hear the phone calls of my, with my ex-stepfather and how, you know, they terrorizing her. And that's not helping the situation, even though she had to res- accept responsibility for the choices she made as well. But, you know, ultimately, I would say to parents out there that are divorced, um, learn to get along for your kids because you're only hurting your kids and you like, you want to be angry at this other parent and sometimes you have reason for, but you've got to find a way to create something that is peaceful for this kid because it is going to have long-term effects on them. And how dare you put your problems on your child, you know, and I understand it can be complicated, but I encourage you and I ask you to do a better job because you're going to affect your kid and you don't need to let your emotions get involved because you're angry at your ex-wife, your ex-husband, and you guys can't get along. Find a way because you have a, you created something beautiful. The most beautiful thing in the world is creating a child. Honor that because that kid deserves the opportunity to succeed in life and you don't need to make it any more difficult for them because life is already going to do that for them. Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, I can testify from my own divorce. You know, it's, you don't have to become their friend. You just have to be amicable, you know, and that's the key. And sometimes it's swallowing your pride. And again, we're talking about, you know, reasons and, you know, um, you know blame. You know, in, in mine, there was definitely a, a very strong reason or, or blame towards one way, but it's irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. The child is the nucleus of your world. And whether you're at fault, not at fault, whatever it is, you have to, as you said, be the kind of person that will buffer that child from, you know, the the, the hatred, anger, whatever it is that surrounds the relationship between the two parents. Exactly, man. You know, and I, I I've went I've I've lived through two divorces, you know, and I don't know what it's like to be married or be a parent or have your own kids, but man, I'm close enough on it, you know, and I've experienced it on being the father figure role and how difficult that is, and then also being the child and seeing that fall apart, you know. And it's uh, I've seen my dad put my hands on his mo- on my mom. I've seen my stepfather put their hands on my mom. And I'm not saying they beat him and I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I've seen those things. And it still affects me to this day. You know, and I still fight that little demon of could I have done more? Could I have saved my mom? Could I have protected her a little more? And I realized that it doesn't affect me enough anymore that I can't go out throughout my day, but I'm just that type of person where it's always going to kind of poke at me. Just like an old football game. I had a great game. I had 20 tackles, two sacks, but I remember that one tackle I missed that I could have had another sack. You know what I mean? I'm just that kind of person. You know, I'm always um, self auditing, seeing where I can get better. And luckily I've turned it into a good process and not a self condemning process, you know, but I would just encourage us to, uh, we all just need to be a little bit better right now, you know, especially when it comes to, the dynamics of the world right now. Absolutely. And again, you know, you want to change the world, you start at home. And this is exactly what this conversation is about. Yeah. And how, you know, and how, look, I understand what it's like to be pissed off and angry. If anyone understands that, it's me. And there's several times I've had a damn good reason for it, but it's still 
doesn't do you any good. But when you can harness that negative energy and use it for good, like on a tough workout or going through some work or putting your head down and writing 10 pages to write an essay or whatever you have to do, if you can tap into that darkness, you can fuel it for good. And I've been able to do that. And that's one of the things I try to share with people. But understand that the pain and the dark side runs hot. So you can only use it for so long because you'll eventually get burned. Absolutely. Well, I know, you know, obviously losing your mother is clearly going to be a pivotal moment in anyone's life. But it seemed like it was the beginning of a, a very different journey for you. So, so you know, I'll open the door again. You go where you'd like to, but, you know, talk to me about losing your mother and then, you know, where that sent you as not only the father figure now, but the father-mother figure for your siblings. Yeah, so my mother was 47 years old. Um, after her second divorce, she developed a, um, a turning alcohol to cope with pain. My mom was never a big drinker. Um never saw her drunk before, never even saw her drink more than one drink. Um, so it was very, uh, I was first time I found out about this was my first job. I, uh, printed t-shirts at a beachwear store, you know, Myrtle beach spring break, 2001, all this stuff. Cool job, by the way. And, um, I got a phone call from my stepfather at work, which was very strange. And he's like, Hey, your mother's like belligerently drunk and I can't control her. Like, can you come help me? And he was definitely like a guy that wouldn't ask for help. So that was very strange as well. And I'm, um, what am I, you know, late teens, early 20s. I think I might even still been a teenager. And I'd never seen my mom like this before. She started putting on weight. She was always petite too. And, you know, she was just drunk, man. And she threw all the pots all over the yard. She tore up the, you know, the yard outside, you know, because she found out that he was having an affair with our family lawyer. And she turned alcohol to cope. And I finally got her calmed down. But actually, I'll share another intimate moment that's very kind of strange. So I go talk to my mom. I calm her down. She's on the phone with a friend, calm, staying calm and smoking a cigarette. And I go in the laundry room, my stepfather's folding clothes or something. And I just go in there and I start crying and I apologize. I apologize for my mother's actions. And it's the first time I ever saw him cry. You know, and he started crying and gave me a hug. And he said, it's okay. It's not your fault. And it was the first kind of moment that I remember with him through maybe five to seven years of their relationship that I felt like I really had a true moment with him of like, you know, love and compassion and the last moment as well. Um, and then she ends up like, I give it some time and I remember going outside and she's pretty much just dead weight drunk. And I literally carried my mother up the steps of our family home and put her in bed. Like she's some drunk college student. And then ultimately, you know, uh, Fast forward the story. She continues this drinking. I'm living with her, playing the father figure role. And ultimately, one day when she is staying with her brother, my uncle, to help him out, he uh, has no legs. So she was there cooking dinner with him, helping do laundry and just spending some time with him. I get a phone call on Mother's Day morning at 9.32 a.m. from my aunt, aunt, Aunt Carolyn, saying, your mom just passed away. So I've always wondered about this phone call. Would it happen? Will I save my mom? Is there time? remember finding wine bottles everywhere, um, beer bottles, a can. I remember her uh, trying to hide two cases coming up the steps into the apartment and I caught her very, it's hard to even like to live in your worst nightmare. And I want to explain to people about alcoholism. Alcoholism is not the show shameless. I understand it's a good show, but it's a comedy and it makes light of things. And I don't mean that like I'm mad at the show. I don't go out protesting it. Entertainment's entertainment. I'm okay with that. I realize it's a show and also the show intervention, those things don't work. It's good for TV. So I come home one day before my mom passes away. Excuse me, guys. I think this is worth sharing. 
Um, I'm, the bathroom door's open. My mother's urinating on the toilet like a woman would sitting down. She's so drunk that she falls over forward, hits her face on the wall, and is on the bathroom floor now, still urinating in front of my very eyes. I have to clean my mother, and then I have to pick my mom up at dead weight and put her in bed. That's alcoholism, folks. And I'm working on a docu-series to spread more light into mental illness and all this stuff. But stay tuned on that. So back to the phone call. My aunt calls me. Um, 40, uh, my mom's 47 years old. She calls me on Mother's Day to say that my mother passed away. So my worst nightmare comes true. And surprisingly, the first thing I say is just promise me you'll help me take care of my sisters. Because that's all I could think about, man. I'm a very selfless person. And then being thrust in this role to be able to try to take care of them and play this father figure role that, you know, I felt really attached to them. And I felt all I could think about was them. And that's what helped me get through this, James. You know, they talk about having a why, you know. So when things get tough, you need something to help you push because things are going to get tough. You're even going to have a hard time waking up for your dream job because we're human. But to understand, if you have something that's bigger than you or you believe in something so much, and I love my sister so much, and I wanted to give them something they necessarily didn't have, especially Gabriella, a positive male figure in her life of someone she could count on which she couldn't count on her dad that she had no relationship with because she was too young. And then he stopped talking to us. And then ultimately our ex stepfather gave up on us and stopped talking to us as soon as the marriage was over. So, and of course my aunt Carolyn said, absolutely. You know, and then my uh, sister's boyfriend was there at the time or finds out. And he says, Hey, Gabrielle is at work. Do you want to tell her? Do you want me to tell her? He's like, I'm happy to go do it. If you want to stay here, I'll bring her to you. And I said, Hey kid, if you feel strong enough about, you know, going to get her and bringing her here, I'm fine with that. So he brings her home and she walks through the door. And James, I heard a scream, a yell, a roar, all mixed in one that I've never heard before. And it makes the hair on my arm stand up. You know, I'm haunted by this sound of this little girl at 16 years old finding out that her mother is gone. And it's me. I'm 25. Gabriella is 18 years old and Kennedy's 10. Thankfully, Kennedy was with her stepdad at the time. And the beautiful thing is the outpouring of love that we received from the community and people that knew us was downright just beautiful, man. And I'm forever grateful for the people that were kind enough to just say something nice, to drop off food, write a card. Some friends of mine did a little fundraiser and raised a couple grand to help pay for the funeral. My mom had like two grand in the bank. I'm 25 years old, man. I don't have any money. I'm waiting tables. I'm barely getting by, but I'm, I'm helping the family get by, though. Um, the funeral, I tried to do the most cheapest cost effective thing and it was still $15,000. So think about taking all that in. No dad, no mom, no stepfather, no money, no life insurance. And you got to figure it out on your own, you know, but thankfully there's still love in my heart, man. And I had two little girls that I made a promise to man that I'd figure it out. I'd never let them down, you know, and luckily in a way, I don't know if luckily is the right word, but thankfully my stepfather does love Kennedy and she stayed with him throughout this whole time. Um, if I had to take on that responsibility, I don't care what anybody says, I promise you, I would have figured it out and taken care of that 10 year old girl too. Um, but thankfully, um, he did take care of his daughter rightfully so and provided for her. Um, long story short, um, he still had anger towards my mother and didn't let us see her for about a year and a half or so, which was very strange back to the talk about holding on to anger and making other people suffer. So you're telling me this 10 year old girl, her mom dies and gets taken away from her for no reason. And now you're going to take away the brother and sister because you're angry with my mom. Like, 
what point does this make? I'm not here to condemn him, but I'll be damned if I'm not going to tell the truth. And I haven't and said so much light of this part of the story because Kennedy's always been younger. And I didn't want a 16-year-old girl or a 15-year-old girl to listen to me on a podcast and hear certain truths about the story. But now that she's 19 years old, she's going to know a little bit more about the story respectfully. Again, I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I will keep it honest. And my mom's not innocent in this situation, but again, when somebody's suffering, I don't think you need to add to the torture and especially do anything to affect a little girl. But thankfully, we were able to communicate and eventually be able to see uh, Kennedy. And uh, thankfully, the first time I saw her after a year and a half or so, she gave me the biggest hug, man. And she you could tell she missed us. And luckily, she didn't think we were trying to leave her behind because that's what I was scared about. She's going to think big brothers leaving her out to dry. And it wasn't that simple, you know. And hey, maybe he had a bad way of processing things or whatever. But again, that did happen. And I'm not going to shy away from that part of the story. But the cool thing is me and Gabriella forced this bond. We didn't like being alone. We hung out all the time and she became my best friend, you know, and we figured it out together, man. And uh, I am forever grateful for those two little girls because that's why I'm alive. Beautiful. Well, so you have this adoration for your sisters. Like you said, one's geographically next to you, one's in another residence, and that sends you on a path of your own desire to create stability for them. So kind of walk me through, you know, from grieving to, you know, where, where we're sitting now. Yeah, this is where the journey really, really begins for me. You know, I, I wanted the opportunity to provide more for her. You know, I'm like, if I'm going to take on this responsibility and I want to continue bettering, bettering my life and being a single guy in Myrtle Beach waiting tables at a great local restaurant that I worked at, shout out Flamingo Grill. You can make good money living in Myrtle Beach and being single, but trying to help your sister get a new car, help pay for college, which she was about to, um, and to provide a better life for both of us, I needed to start making more money. So I found the opportunity of getting into corporate sales. And I saw a, an ad of a friend of mine or kind of a friend posted like, hey, corporate America job, two weeks of training, full benefits, the opportunity to make six figures with no college education. And I'm like, holy shit, man, I'm in, you know, because I dropped out of college. And I'm proud to say that's the only thing I've quit in my life. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I've ever made because I didn't know what I was going to school for. and um, luckily it wasn't a lot of money cause I went to a local tech school and I'm not in debt now because I went and got an education for something I didn't care anything about. And I'm not against school, but I think we got to definitely change the direction of education, but that's a whole nother story. So I talked to my, this guy that posts the ad and he's like, yeah, man, it's a sales vacation thing. Um, I'm on this team. I feel good about it so far. I think it's a good bet for you, you know, and he gave me the good and the bad of the little bit that he knew. And I was like, man, I got to roll the dice and understand folks, there's never a great time to do a right thing, you know? And if you believe in something and you want to make a change, there's a point where you got to take a leap. You can only do so many pros and cons to where you just got to take a leap of faith in yourself. And it was, I started to become bold and started to be like, you know what? It's time to step up in life. So I went and got some new suits, man. I, uh, I went to the training and ended up getting on the team with my friend that I and with another guy that I knew. So I was like, this is a good sign. And uh, man, it was crazy being thrust in that corporate world, you know, of this high stress of sales and, you know, the rules and things always changing and working on holidays and all this stuff. And I'm not I'm not a stranger to work. I don't mind working hard. I just want it to pay off. And uh, there was a, um, I learned a lot about myself in life, but I 
totally understood that this is not the life for me. I'm not one to be told what to do, coming in these early morning meetings, getting scolded, the pay plan always changing, trying to convince somebody they need to buy something, even though I believe in vacations and it's good for the soul. But if anybody knows anything about sales, this is the high pressure Super Bowls of sales, man. And I got thrusted right into the heart of it. But I learned a lot about people, how to communicate. You want to talk about learning how to talk to somebody, sit across from somebody in the morning when they don't want to be there and you're trying to sell them something. <laughs> you know, and we're talking about people of all walks of life. So that was a really cool experience for me. It taught me how to communicate, to get comfortable, to be honest and strong in who you are, overcome adversity, learn how to take a no, which even in the personal training business, you got to understand how to take those no's um, and to fight your way through that respectively. You know, and I forged, forged some really good friendships, you know, some people that I am friends with or from that I am still friends with today. One of them is my manager who was kind of my manager at the time is now like my big sister and mentor, you know, and we actually didn't get along at first because I wore those negative energies to the workplace, James. I was very quiet. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was very not outgoing. I didn't have my normal energy because I was like, man, I got to provide. I got a $15,000 funeral to pay for. Like it started coming down on me and I started being angry. Like, why did this happen to me? What have I done that I have to deal with this bullshit of life? Like, why am I suffering from my dad, from my mom, from my stepdad? Like, what did I do? And now I got to provide for my sister, you know? And I remember my manager pulling me aside like a month in saying like, what the hell is your problem, man? got this attitude. You're not very friendly, you know, like, you know, it seems like you're trying, but like, it's not working out. And I broke down, man. And I cried and I told her my story. And she said, one of the most influential things I've ever heard that was told to me, to my face, she said, life sets you up to fail, but you won't. It was the first time that somebody believed in me, man, since my life fell apart, you know, a stranger, a woman that I thought hated me. And she said, Hey man, you're going to figure it out. And I'll never forget that, brother. And she's believed in me ever since. And I'm still standing because of people like that. Yeah, I've done a lot of this shit on my own, man. But there's been people in my corner. And I'm grateful for that. And you don't need to be blood to be family. You need somebody to be good to you and to believe in you. And tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And I, uh, I made a little bit of money. I was able to scrape by and get by. I made the most money I ever made in my life one month. A really cool feeling. And I earned that through the help of my team and the way she set up the way we did things as a team. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. But uh, on my way of understanding, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And this is not making me feel whole. And money's not everything, you know, even though it's very important. But peace of mind's more important. And I felt like I was selling my soul to the devil to try to pay my bills. But I did have good intentions. Um, she ended up vouching for me for two rock stars that wanted to get out of the corporate life. But they made a ton of money in this job for several years. And they were wanting to open up a restaurant and they liked me through the office and how I was. And I become, I ended up becoming more of myself throughout this journey and becoming friends with my manager and her helping me through my dark times and through becoming a better salesperson. They pulled me aside and started picking my brain, but I didn't really know what was going on, but I was very um, forthright of giving them as much information about the restaurant business that I knew, the restaurant I worked at, et cetera. And I like helping people, man. Anytime like I can help you learn something, connect about something, or you're like, hey, I want to do this. If I know somebody, I'm passing you along, man. I just, I can't help that. I love connecting people. And they're like, hey, we want to open up a restaurant. Would you want to be involved? You know, like we feel like you're trying to get out of this sales stuff too. And I'm like, man, I'm ready to get out of here. And they're like, well, do you want to be our head waiter? And I said, you know, guys, I wrote down on a piece of paper, I'd never wait tables again. But what I am willing to do, let me be the bar manager. And they're like, well, you never waited. You've never bartended before. And I said, well, I have twice. Um, but no, I am not 
strongly experienced, but I said, give me the time to study and figure it out. And I'll write the program. I'll write and I'll tell you how to train people. I'll tell you how to run the bar and I'll do it properly. I'll teach you how to run the weight staff. I'll set up um, how we're going to do things the right way towards one another and towards our people that come in the restaurant. And they allowed me that opportunity, James. And I was involved with uh, some of the ideas for the restaurant and, you know, maybe the looks. Um, they definitely, I did the whole cocktail menu was mine. I taught myself how to bartend, man. I learned the classics and then the craft cocktails, those fancy cocktails that are $20, $30 drinks. That's the classic stuff built. You know, the new stuff is built on the classics. And I literally, you know, I've learned when I set my mind to something, man, I get obsessed and I'm all in. And I learned how to bartend and I helped them with the wine list, the beer list. And I learned how to bartend. And it was an amazing experience, man. We uh, we came out of the gate firing. I made the most money I ever made in my life. Um, it's still to this day the most popular restaurant in town, and they get voted the most popular Italian restaurant every year. And I'm really proud to be a part of that, man, and be a fixture in the community. But I still wanted more, you know, because I want more out of life, and I think I have more to offer the world than making drinks and providing a great customer experience at a bar. And there's, I don't, look, I'm not knocking bartenders. I just want more out of life than doing that. And I think I could offer the the world more. So through working at this restaurant, I met a younger kid that I called the younger, better version of me. You know, he's got all my strengths and none of my weaknesses. And we became best friends. And we always talked about our next step. And if we would move, you know, could we work together and create, you know, a better life through friendship and all that? That's what best friends talk about, right? So he presented me an opportunity to open up a restaurant in Florida with his dad and their cousin. Had a couple run-ins with his dad, really liked and really respected him. And come to find out his dad was in the medical field at the time, but made his first success in million dollars having a deli in New York back in the day. So his dad came from this, had passionate about it and knew the business. And I was very proud and honored that my friend was willing to go into business with me and let, you know, go on this adventure. And James, I didn't ask one question. I shook their hands and said, let's do it. <laughs> so folks out there, don't take blind risks, take calculated risks. But I don't have regrets because I learned a lot. So I sold pretty much everything I had and I moved to Florida. Their cousin I never even met before. So I go down and meet him. Um, so we have this restaurant together. And long story short, seven months in, it's a complete disaster. I'm broke mentally, spiritually, financially, and emotionally. Um, I take ownership of it falling apart as much as everybody else. But long story short, we couldn't come together as a team. And you think about a locker room in sports or, you know, you guys out there as first responders and being at the fire station, if you guys can't get along and there's not a good energy there, you're in trouble. And then when you have financial trouble and, uh, you know, again, I'm not here to knock anybody, but most importantly, we couldn't come together as a team. And it got to a point to where it was like, are we going to troop this out? Or are we all just kind of dying on the inside and in our bank accounts? And none of us were uh, shy about work except for their cousin. We worked our butts off and I'm proud of that. I'm still best friends with my friend. I still love his dad, but it was time for us to part ways. So I look myself in the mirror, James, when I'm literally broke. And I say to myself, what am I going to do? I have a real honest um, conversation with myself about what do I want out of life? Who am I? Who do I want to be? Who do I aspire to be? So at this point in my life, my sister's married to someone in the military. So she's good. I'm not necessarily, she's still, all, her, my sisters will always be my why. But it was more about, I could finally live for me, James. I could think about London and maybe London's hopes and dreams could be his why. And doing living out those hopes and dreams could hopefully inspire a lot of people. So with that being said, 
and Kennedy's with her father doing well, taking care of. So I can finally focus on London. So while I'm having this honest conversation with myself, I have, I hear Lewis house say, I want to give everyone some advice, find someone you admire the most, tell them your work for them and you do it for free and you'll pay them. I bet they've never heard that before. And I said, Holy shit, that's a great idea. So I find five influential people that I really respect and I think I could learn a lot from and also I could provide value to them with who I am and my life story. So I reach out to them. I don't hear from anybody except for Steve Weatherford. And during this time of reaching out to these people, I'm like, I know what I want to do. I want to help people and I want to bet on myself. Nothing wrong with having a team and business partners, but I wanted the opportunity to not be able to whatever happens to me, whether I live or die, succeed or feed succeed or fail, it's on me. Nobody else, no other business partner, no BS this, no that. And I like the idea of that because I was in control and it all mattered on me. And I was willing to go on this journey. And I wasn't ready to go back home because I was partly embarrassed and there was pride. But also I wanted to keep pushing, James. I've come this far. I opened up my own restaurant at 30 years old. Pretty big deal, man. Very proud of it. But also turned out to be a huge mistake. But I didn't fail because I learned. So I have the opportunity to live with a friend in New York. He's like, man, I'll take you in. I got my own personal training business, VersaFit Train in New York. He's like, help me with social media. Teach me what you know about um, the training stuff and live on my couch, brother. I'll take you in and see what it's like to live in a big city and figure out life. And I'm forever grateful for John Salutaire for letting me into his home. I never paid any rent, but I helped out where I could with food and keeping the place clean and also with his business. And I learned that I wanted to be a trainer, but I didn't want to live in New York. So I was like, man, I've always thought about the West Coast. I eventually wanted to get into speaking and film. So that's Hollywood, the glitz and the glam. But I also liked how progressive L.A. used to be. It's a little too crazy now. But, um, you know, the idea of fitness and all the opportunity here and being by the beach, man, I'm half Greek. I'm from the beach. It's in my blood, you know, and it's such a good place for, you know, when you're going through life to be at a peaceful place like the beach. So I sold everything I had that I had left and I moved to LA with two suitcases. I'd never been to the West Coast before. I had no job lined up and I didn't know anyone. But I had this relentless bravado to believe in myself and figure it out. And with those 10 goals and two suitcases, I moved to LA, man. And within the first year, I accomplished all those 10 goals. Beautiful. Well, let's first talk about the goals and I also want to talk about who Steve actually is. So Steve Weatherford is a former um, NFL player for a 10-year NFL veteran, was a Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, which is the most prestigious award besides winning Super Bowl or MVP for your humanitarian efforts in your community. And uh, he won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants. And also one of the coolest accolades is if anybody knows football out there, um, he's a white punter and he got voted NFL's fittest man. So if you know anything about that, that's kind of funny if you think about all the guys in the NFL. I was but thinking did, that. Sorry, just to jump in. But when <laughs> I heard you in another, another interview, I'm like, the kicker is not usually known for, you know, for other anything other than being an amazing kicker. That's why you get a lot of soccer players. So to have him as the fastest, strongest, fittest of an entire football team of all the different positions, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing honor. And he, the cool thing about him is he jokes about it. He's like, man, I'm still a kicker. I'm not that important. He's like, I still think it's funny I won the award, you know. So, uh, but uh, 
that's how I first, you know, found out about Steve. And then I started watching his social media and I just thought he was, you know, you see people and you're like, that's a guy I'd like to, you know, hang out with. I'd like to work out with. I'd love to learn more from him because I loved how he was with his family. I loved how he seemed very honest and raw about his ups and downs of life. And I relate to people like that. And I appreciate that. You know, I respect someone that's willing to be vulnerable, especially when you're a guy's guy and how that's, you know, not really um, spoken about until of late, which I think it's really good that we're pushing towards mental health and being had a, having honest conversations, you know, in a safe space, honest, nuanced conversations about the ups and downs of being a human being. So again, I dropped into his DM and he was kind enough to write me back that day. And he said, man, absolutely would I never take your money. But he's like, I'm putting together an internship and the people like you with that attitude are the people I'm looking for. So through a year of um, constant communication and me moving to LA, I finally get a chance to meet with him and we finally have breakfast and he offers me the opportunity to work for him. You know, and he said, and this is when I really knew that he was who I was hoping he was. Cause again, you really know, you don't really know somebody until you spend time around them. You know, you, you hope somebody's honest and authentic on social media, but that only goes so far until you're really around them and also how you see how they interact with other people. So I take the most expensive Uber ride ever from uh, Venice Beach, California to Anaheim because I didn't have a car. I Oof. Ubered and lifted it everywhere. In, in LA traffic, God, that must have been expensive. <laughs> but you know what? I'm like, and I'm, listen to me, folks, though. If you have the opportunity to do something, take advantage of it. You can always make more money. But when can you meet someone that you truly admire and maybe, you know, work for them? So it was the worth every best $150 I've ever spent. So we go do this workout with a group of people at a conference he's at, and then we go to breakfast. And he was so cool with the host, the waitress, his team. And then we sat down and talked and he said, hey, man, I'm so grateful we finally got to met. I appreciate your constant respectful support on social media. And he said, I know you like me and admire me enough that you you do Snapchat and carry my gym bag for me. But he said, I respect you too much and know that you could provide too much value to someone or me or a business than for me to take advantage of you like that. So he said, hey, I'm putting together a private coaching thing online. I'd love for you to be a part of that. And he offered me a job. And long story short, he ended up, I wrote programs for him. I wrote the best-selling program for his business in 2019 called The Master Shredder. I also wrote Boulder Shoulders and Legageddon. And then one of my favorite experiences with working with him was he asked me to be on his podcast. You know, and that was a goal that I wrote down and I like put out in the universe And uh, I'm proud to say that he came to Venice Beach, California, invited me to the beach while he was doing something else and asked me in person if I would be on the show because he knew how important that was to me. And that's what kind of person he is. And when I say this, I'm not necessarily trying to build him up, even though he is that kind of person and he's awesome. And I want people to know that. But it's about supporting other people and how when you do that, your own frequency inadvertently rises to pour into people because it comes back to you and It's so important. Like, what are you doing in life if you're not helping somebody else? Yes, take care of yourself and then pass that knowledge to somebody else, man. You could help change somebody's life and make the world a better place. And shit, imagine if we did that right now. I think we all deserve it. And, you know, especially the kids out there, like what kind of world are we leaving for the kids? We've got to set a better example. And that comes with how we treat one another, how we support one another. And support doesn't mean loaning a friend $10,000. Support might just be, hey, brother, if you ever need anything, give me a call. I love you. So with the 10 goals, James, so um, I wanted, it was as crazy as falling in love with a beautiful blonde. 
It was living by the beach. It was training clients out of a private gym. It was being on a podcast. It was working on my documentary. It was getting sponsored by a beard company. Um, I might be missing out a couple, but along those, I just wanted to achieve those things. I wanted to have an amazing top client and ended up getting his father found me on social media. So think about this. Think about all the trials and tribulations that I'm expressing, everyone, all the pain, all the suffering, all the failures. And here I am now having the opportunity to live out my dream because I didn't quit and I bet on myself. And now I have been for the past three years. I am the strength and conditioning coach to the number one ranked amateur boxer in the United States. And he's top five in the world. And we're getting ready to fight in the first ever junior Pan American Games next month in Colombia, Mexico. Uh, in uh, Colombia to fight the top kids in the world to go for gold, you know, all because I failed guys all because, you know, like it's not because I kept rising. It's because I just, because I kept getting back up. Beautiful. And that boxer is Steve Navarro. Have I got that right? Yes, sir. And uh, I, uh, everyone out there support this young man. I'm very proud to say he's humble in victory and defeat. And uh, it's very important to me of who that kid is outside of the ring. And I asked him one time while we were filming something in, in between takes, I said, hey, brother, and it was between uh, him and I, it wasn't on camera. I said, what's your biggest takeaway from me? What have you learned from me of these past three years? You know, and it wasn't about stroking my ego. I just wanted to see what I've taught this kid so far. And he said, man, it's got nothing to do with working out. He said, it's outside of the ring. It's how you treat people. It's how you try to leave people with a smile. And he said, London, you taught me you'll, people will always remember how you made them feel. And this kid was 16 years old at the time, man. And to be able to like, you know, I'm, I'm only helping on a micro level and I, I'm working on getting to the macro level. But to be able to have a young man in this today's world to have iterate something like that to me, I'm really proud of that, James. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just from a strength and conditioning focus for a second, what are you doing with him? What's your kind of training philosophy that's basically amplifying the striking, the fitness, the strength that you need to get um, to that level when it comes to striking? Yeah, so he's got a whole team of people. You know, he works with his uh, father's his main boxing coach, and then he has two other guys he works with. He's been doing some work at Wild Card Boxing Gym, that famous gym in Hollywood with Freddie Roach, mm -hmm. who used to work with Manny Pacquiao. He's which amazing. Is, yeah, which is so cool. I can't get to, can't wait to get there and meet those guys um, because I remember I was a fan of Manny Pacquiao. So now to see it come full circle with my boxers, insane. But it's all about explosiveness and power you know, and having that core strength, but we're also working on lateral movement. So when you get hit and moving left to right, and he also has another trainer um, where we train out of a private facility um, named Jen Pellucci. So he works with her once a week. And then we also work once a week with me. So it's this great opportunity of a team coming together of one common goal. There's no egos. It's about how can we make this kid be the baddest 17 year old on the planet? You know, and I'm I'm very grateful to be a small part of this puzzle, you know, but we don't over, overthink it. We do do some crazy cool moves, but also it's back to the basics of, you know, pressing and squatting, you know, but having that core strength and really breathing properly. But also we're working on his mental game. We, we have a lot of talk, Stephen and I, in and outside of the gym. And I, I with every one of my clients, whether you're a top boxer or you're a 50 year old woman that just wants to feel better about themselves when they walk up two flights of steps and not be out of breath is providing a safe space and letting people know that they're valued and they have a place to belong and to let them know that I'm going to hold them accountable, but to know that if they need me, if they need someone they can count on, that I'm only a phone call away. 
It's more than just helping somebody get a six pack, man. This is helping change people's lives. Yeah, I think that's lost as a, as a coach myself. You know, I think that more it, it's so easy to just coach the person, just to be like, all right, come in, here's your warm up, here's your workout, here's your cool down, bye bye. But just as a kind of a parallel example, I teach a class, or I used to teach a class, now it's more of a tactical focus, but it was basically kind of a strongman focused class. And every two, three months, I tell them grab a sandbag and we walk all the way over to the parking garage. We climb all the stairs holding the sandbags. We do some, some stuff with the bags. And then I tell them, all right, drop the bag. And then we make a little circle and I'll be like, why are you here? And we go one by one and just asking about their why and their why would change. It would, you know, metamorphosize, if that's the word. Um, but some of the stuff, some again, some of the childhood things, some of the relationship things, some of the insecurities, the vulnerabilities were so empowering. And it kind of struck me. I'm like, we don't do this enough as coaches. We don't ask about the athlete as a human being. You know, we say, oh, what's your goals? Well, why? You know, oh, well, actually, I was abused by my husband. Okay, now I get it. Now I understand the kind of strength, you know, the kind of, you know, resilience that you're trying to form, you know, versus, oh, I just want some sweet abs. Well, that doesn't tell me anything, you know. Why do you want sweet abs? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so important to have those conversations. And I think post-exercise is a really, really good space to sit with an athlete for a few minutes and talk to them because they flushed out all the stress if, if you've programmed it right um, and you know are going to be more apt to to really self-analyzing and, and communicating to you you know if it's working if it's not working if they're doing well if they're not doing well absolutely james you know and one of the keys to my success everyone is you know i've been willing to put time in at the gym and take care of my health but when you do that, it's not just about building the body, it's strengthening the mind as well. And I encourage you to go put yourself through a tough workout or play a tough game of flag football or basketball or whatever, physical activity, and then try to be angry or mad or sad afterwards, you know? And if anyone's suffering from depression out there, um, doctors prescribe now three times at least a week of physical activity because it's so good for your mental health. Yes, I care about how I look. I have no problem admitting that. Also, you know, I like being able to play sports and not getting injured. Also, I have to practice what I preach. I can't just charge people money and then not, you know, take care of my own body. You know, what kind of example am I setting? Also, not to get down that rabbit hole, but also that's why I've never been sick through these past 18 months. I've never once had one symptom. I'm not saying I never caught it. When I did get the uh, test, the few tests that I took, it was always negative. But I take care of my health, which intense keeps me healthy with the world and when it comes to germs and stuff like that. But also I take care of my health from a mental aspect, which is part of the physical part. And if you're out there and you're suffering, you don't have to go to a big box gym. You could literally do a few sets of push-ups, a few sh sets of sit-ups, a few sets of squats and get started that way. Don't stress about the scale. Think about how your clothes fit. Think about how you feel. Think about what you, how you move. It's your own journey. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one thing that I found CrossFit is a good space for this because we do such a diverse set of skills and exercises but you know i don't think it's very fulfilling moving the pin one number down on a machine but seeing people get their first rope climb or their first handstand you know or even just catching a clean or you know whatever it is a kettlebell you know turkish get up 
those those things give you tangible results and things to aim for. Like the bar muscle up, still my nemesis to this day. I don't know what it is. I can do ring strict and I can't do the bloody bar muscle up to save my life. The yeah. day I get that consistently is going to be a win for me. You know, exactly. so, you know, these, these are the things I think is like, how are you going to use your fitness? As you said, two flights of stairs without being winded. Those are tangible reasons. And the workout is purely a means to an end, not an end in itself. Yeah. And life's going to be uncomfortable one way or another. So you can get uncomfortable doing shit you don't like and stuff in your face with food and then being uncomfortable with how you look and feel literally. And then also you can get uncomfortable doing stuff that's good for you. You know what I mean? And I just encourage you to get uncomfortable doing the things that you might not necessarily want to do at the moment, but are always going to benefit you afterwards. And you want to talk about ROI, return on investment. The gym will never let you down. And what you put into that, but also the gym is part of how you manage stress, getting your rest and recovery with sleep and also nutrition. And you don't need to go full plant-based. You don't need to start eating meat and fat all the time. Find out what works for you. I'll tell you one thing. I never want to be a dietitian because it's so difficult because we're all so different. But yes, there are key things that you can try, but in the end, you got to see what works for you. But if you can stay consistent and give yourself an opportunity to succeed, you can. And that's why it's so great to have a coach. I just want to see you succeed. It doesn't have to be with me you can do it on your own by following free youtube stuff from all kinds of people or you could hire somebody virtually you can use an app or you could hire someone in person but there's a beauty in bringing people in around you that you can trust to help you get farther than you ever thought you'd go and that's why you have good people in your circle and why you have coaches or mentors and that is another part of my success is who i've been able to surround myself with now you mentioned steve weatherford um and you touched on he won an award for the humanitarian work that he does. And that's the kind of person he that was nominated. A, Excuse me. He was nominated. Okay. Well, regardless, he was there of all those people. That's the kind of person that I love getting on the show where, you know, they might be a high level football player. They might be a Hollywood actor. That in itself is completely irrelevant to me. But if there's someone who happens to have a platform because of their excellence in their field and they use that platform for good, now I really, really want to, you know, this is the kind of person that I fight to try and get on the show. So tell me about some of the work you know Steve does. Well, Steve, first and foremost, you know, he takes a big pride in being a family man. You know, he's got six kids. Good for him. Kids, you know. <laughs> yeah, Happily married, but, you know, he's honest about their struggles. He's talked about how they've gone to counseling. He's talked about his struggles with his personal things, which I won't get into because that's for, you know, him to say, but he's very open and honest about it. You know, and I think that's really cool, especially in this day and age, you know, to see you know, parents are superheroes, man. When the decisions you make affect somebody else's life, it's very difficult. And then you throw in what's going on in the last 18 months to try to be a parent. It's tough. And I'm so grateful I'm single and don't have kids. I'm not against it. Just it's tough enough looking out for me right now, let alone having to be responsible for somebody else, man. I mean, it's terrifying, you know, and kudos to the ones that aren't giving up and trying to figure it out each day. And I don't say that lightly, man. Um, but I'll tell you a story about Steve to make you better understand him. So a young lady starts following me that does um, like, you know, they have, they have these um, meetups to where they do these big talks with um, speakers like Steve Weatherford and even bigger people with actors, you know, those meetups, whatever they're, I can't think of. Yeah, the like, a, like a TED talk type thing. 
Thank you. Exactly. This one was called Epic and there's a big one once a year. And then they did little Epic meetups for, um, to, you know, keep the community going, build the momentum for the big one and to give people that maybe aren't as well known an opportunity to speak. So she found me through Steve Weatherford and she said, Hey, I'd love to talk. I have a little mini Epic Epic meetup in San Diego. You want to come down and talk? And I'm like, Holy shit, man, this is one of my goals, new goals. I wanted to talk in person, never done it before. And I almost turned it down from fear which is funny, like, cause I never talk about being afraid and folks I'm terrified. I just don't let it stop me. That's what being fearless is. Feel, there's no such thing as not having fear. I'm scared when I talk, I'm scared. I was nervous before this. I just don't let it stop me. I'm scared. I'm not good enough. I'm scared. Sometimes I don't stay in that space. I face it and I keep moving and everything you want's on the other side of fear. And if it's not, you're damn sure going to find out something about yourself on that journey. And when you break down that door, I promise you that. So I'm talking to Nikki and she's like, tell me your story. She's like, oh, absolutely. I'd love for you to talk at this meetup. And she's like, do you think Steve Weatherford would want to do it? I'm like, well, I'm not sure. I don't want to get in the middle of that. Like, I want to be respectful of his space. If you want him to do it, like reach out to him and I'll definitely support as much as I can. But I, I, I'm not saying she was trying to use me to get him to do it, but I just said, hey, let that be your job, you know? And shout out to Nikki. Thank you for that opportunity. So weeks later, he like calls me and he's like, hey, man, I keep getting these emails from this Nikki girl. She's trying to get me to do this talk. Is this spam? Is this real? She said something about you doing it. He's like, why didn't you tell me you were doing a talk? And I was like, well, I'm not trying to bother you, man. I want to be respectful. You know, he's like, well, shit, man, when you're doing stuff like this, let me know, you know, which is really cool. He wants to know what's going on in my life. And then secondly, he said, dude, I'm going to do it for you. Not that he didn't care about speaking at an event and helping people. He said, if I do it, there'll be more pressure on you and there'll be more people in the seats. And I want to be there for your first talk. This guy doesn't owe me anything. You know what I mean? He paid me the money that I earned to do his programs and be a coach. You know, he's got a family. He's got multiple businesses. And this guy wants to stop what he's doing for a weekend to help me and be there for me and show up for me. That's the kind of people you want in your circle. A guy that's famous, a guy that's wealthy. Um, and the funny thing is, uh, we went and did an arm workout, like right before the talk. So we go to this famous gym called Stern's Gym, which is basically the Gold's Gym of San Diego, like a place I've always wanted to go to. And to be able to step in that gym with the NFL's fittest man was a really cool experience. So we do this workout. We're running late. My arms are pumped so full of blood that they were cramping while I was styling my hair after the shower. You know, and I'm getting nervous. I'm still sweating. And I'm like, and understand, folks, things are never going to play out how you want. I wish I wasn't sweating. I wish my arms weren't cramping. I wish I wasn't so nervous. But you can either rise above or you can sink. And most of the time, I've chosen to rise above. Have I always succeeded? No, but I've always learned something. And we, uh, I spoke first. I did the best I could. When I watch it, I cringe, but I still watch it and learn. And I get better each time I speak, you know, and I talk too fast sometimes and I forget things. But again, I'm still learning, folks, but I'm speaking. At least I'm speaking from the soul. And uh, afterwards, he said something really kind in front of the audience. And anytime he's ever talked about me, he's always played me up. I've never had to say I did all this for him. He, When I went on his podcast, he said I wrote the best writing program. He said I delivered for him. You know, I didn't have to do that. And that's what kind of guy he is. And those are the kind of people I want in my life that are going to push me, that are going to, when I'm not in the room, will they champion for me if an opportunity comes up to be like, you know what? I'm looking for a trainer. I know one, London Papa Michael, you know? Um, 
he does great. He's uh, gone towards the more of a um, the Christian aspect of things, and he's doing men camps for men, and I think women of just fellowship and trying to help people in business in their um, spirituality in in, in the uh, direction of Christianity and God and uh, business finances, and he's doing these mastermind groups. Um, forgive me, I can't remember the name, something along, the, I think it's the King's Council. So, uh, but the cool thing is, if you're not in the Christianity space, he's not driving it down your throat. It's still a safe space, you know, but that is something that's important to him that he believes in. But if you went to it and you don't go to church every Sunday, um, I still think you could have an amazing experience and come out a better person. Brilliant. Well, you touched, touched on the app. So let's get to where you are now. You know what what you're doing personally and, and in the virtual space, and then tell me where people can can find that. Yeah, so it's it's been an incredible journey. I'm so grateful to um, you know have some really cool things happen to me, man. You know, I uh, I pinch myself sometimes, you know, because I'm so far to where I want to get to, but I understand it's it takes time, you know, and to be patient. But I'm a lot closer than I was. But I'm currently sponsored by Cuts Clothing Company, based out here in LA. So uh, they've got amazing clothes. There's a discount code on my page. I'm sponsored by uh, Wild Willie's Beard Company, made in Atlanta. Um, so guys out there, if you're looking to grow your beard, style your beard, you got to take care of your beard. I have a discount code on my page for that. They're an amazing company and really proud that uh, both these companies are made in the United States. And if you want to train with me, I train clients out of a private facility in El Segundo in LA. Um, but also if you don't, I train people virtually through uh, Skype or FaceTime calls. And also, if you don't live in LA, if finances is a problem, which I totally understand, let's not shy away from that and be scared of that. Some people can't afford it, especially with what's going on this day and age. That doesn't mean you can't succeed. I have an app. I have clients all over the world. I have a client in Switzerland. I have a client in Singapore. I'm connecting with people of all walks of life, you know, through this fitness app to where I provide programs, workouts, nutrition guides. Um, there's 24 7 guidance and support. You can direct message me. So um, I have workouts if you're in a gym, if you're at home, uh, weights, no weights. So there's something for everybody on there. And the cool thing about the app is it also has a direct link to YouTube stuff of my motivational spaces videos as well. But the best part about it is it's extremely affordable and you could use it on your phone, your tablet or your computer. And I will continue to update that app throughout the year and we don't charge you any more money. So think about having that nice car you have and then the dealership calls you three months later and they're going to install new tires because they're new and they're not going to charge you anything. I do that with my app. I add new content. I add new programs, et cetera, at no additional cost to you through the year. So you could try it monthly, quarterly or yearly. And it's only $100 for the whole year for all this access to nine different programs, nutrition, et cetera. But also you can try it free for seven days or you could try it for a month for $1. But also I want you guys to help me try it out. Give me your honest feedback so I can make a better product for people out there. You know, tell me, you know, I don't like this or you could do this. Let me know what you like and what you don't like so I can give a better product. And also I'm very proud to say I'm really working on something that's very important to me, which is my documentary. But also right now, my main focus is a docu-series on men's mental health, overcoming the odds, real raw stories. You know, that story I told you about a real alcoholism, my mother falling over. I want to shed those stories in a positive, honest light of what's going on through people. I want it to inspire. 
I wanted to show people how lucky you are if you don't know that pain. I want you to be more compassionate when somebody's in a bad mood or not in a good space because maybe they're going through something and you understand that. I'm not saying it's an excuse to act like an asshole, but to understand people have stuff going on, man. And the, so the sooner you can understand that and keep cool and control your emotions like we talked about earlier, the better off you're going to be because you didn't let it affect you because that guy's got his own stuff going on that has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. Well, that's very pertinent in the first responder community too, because as I mentioned before, there many, many of these departments are set up for failure. And I mean, they genuinely are the way they're worked, the short staffing element, you know, the, the close proximity of shifts to each other. There's very, very little opportunity to rest and recover. And one of the side effects is what we call compassion fatigue. People that signed up to do this job that were truly altruistic people. 5, 10, 15, 20 years into their career are so beat down that they become just like you're talking about. You know, they may even have family members that are going through exactly the same thing as the, the homeless man or woman or the addict or the prostitute or, you know, some of these stigmaed pigeonhole groups that we, we come across and they are less than compassionate. So, you know, that's, that's a very, very important perspective. So I'm excited to see, you know, when you get that put together and it comes out. Yeah, thank you, James. I'm I'm very excited. It's definitely I'm pouring my heart and soul into it, you know. And I, I've I've teamed up with a talented team and director, and uh, I really like where we're at with things. I think I shared one of the videos with you. I've actually got a new cut that I'll send you after this. Um, but I'm really hoping to um, spread some positive light in the world, James. And uh, I want to I want that opportunity to uh, you know lead this charge in men's mental health and helping people, but also keeping it honest and raw about the truth, you know. You know, because there's things we're not shedding the light, you know, and there's things doctors aren't telling people about mental health. And I want to shed light on that. You know, I want people to get borderline uncomfortable, but in a positive way, you know, and um, hopefully you'll see me on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime in the future. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep fighting because I've come this far. And, you know, this dynamic with the world and how people are, I've never wanted to quit so much in my life, James. I've never wanted to give up on people so much in my life and find a new career avenue, a new way to make money because it's disgusting with some of the things that are going on. But I think this might be one of the most important things I'll probably say for this whole podcast. If you're out there and you're in the service space of a teacher, a coach, a first responder, a president, a politician, a doctor, a nurse, and anyone that I left out in that service space, I truly apologize. But now more than ever, don't give up. Now more than ever, lean on one another. Be vulnerable. If you're struggling, seek that help. Stick together. We must band together and lead because if we give up, humanity is lost. And I strongly encourage you to take a deep breath, raise your intellect, gather your emotions, and continue to lead the charge because the world needs you more than ever. And I'm grateful for all of you and the sacrifices you make to make this world a better place, and especially with the first responder thing. You guys are real heroes and you don't get credit for it. And I say that truly. Um, and it's sad you don't get paid that way, but that's why you don't do it. But I thank you for everything that you do. And I ask you to stay strong because we need you. And I want you around and I need you around now and for the future. So please don't give up. And if anyone wants to talk, drop in my DM. I'm not going to funnel you down to some sales pitch. You want to have an honest talk of human beings? I'm here to help people. Message me and I will get back to you and I will help you any way I can. And if I can't, I'll try to get you the help you need. But don't struggle. Stay strong so you can help the people that are suffering. That's why we do what we do. Don't give up now. We need you more than ever. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for that perspective. And I think that one of the things that I'm seeing now is, 
there is a lot of chaos out there. And I think now is when we're going to see the true leaders emerge. The ones given that mantle um, undeservedly have had decades to lead and I think fail miserably in many, many areas. But we're seeing the real leaders, the people that are biting down their mouth guard, you know, wrapping their their hands extra tight and, you know, coming up from the trenches. And it's exactly what we need now. We need people to unify, not divide. So, and as you said, you know, a side effect of this right now is a lot of, a lot of hurt people, a lot of previously hurt people really hurting. A lot of people that have already, you know, literally and figuratively come to the end of their rope and it's heartbreaking. So thank you for, you know, for reaching out to everyone that's listening. Now, I want to transition to some closing questions before I let you go. The first one I love to ask, is there a book that you love to recommend, book or books? It can be related to what we've discussed today or completely unrelated. Oh, man. Um, I, can, I, can I throw out a couple? Yeah, please. I, that's why I start adding the plural now. Yeah. People always ask that. Um, it can be as many as you want. As a man thinketh, peaceful warrior, and the four agreements. And if I had to pick one out of the three, the four agreements, what a beautiful way to live your life through those four codes. And if you Google it, there's actually a fifth agreement. But man, I, I, I try to post that um, often on my story because it's just beautiful of honoring your word. I'm, I've, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember them now, but um, just it's and for this day and age of what's going on, like it's like, man, if we could all just do a little bit better job of following the four agreements, we'd all be a whole lot better off with how we feel about ourselves and also how you know we interact with one another. Absolutely. Great, great books. So what about a movie and or documentary? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, you know, film and documentary is something that I'm really trying to eventually get into and just help tell stories and put that on film, you know, and um, I'm such a big movie fan. That's very difficult. I'm trying to think of anything that's inspired me lately or I just love underdog movies, man, you know, and I relate to those underdogs. I always joke around. I'm the Rudy 2.0, you know, I'm the new, you know, just um, go watch Rocky, watch the first Rocky and then watch how um, towards the end, David Goggins talks about it of Apollo Creed's like, this guy's going to be done. He looks over and Rocky's still standing, like, bring it on. You're not going to stop me. And that's kind of what I tell life. Dear life, I'm still standing. Sincerely me. I'm not asking for more trouble, but I'm not going to stop. You know, and I refuse to, I look at my life like a wet t-shirt and I'm trying to wring it out and get every bit of moisture at, out of it. And hopefully, you know, I'm old and gray and, you know, hundred plus years old and I got a bunch of people around me that love me and I can honestly say that I gave it my all and I don't have any regrets. You know, I'm not scared of dying, James. I'm scared of not living well. And that's why I keep pushing, man. Uh, documentary, I can't think of one off the top of my head. No problem. Rocky comes up over and over again for good reason. And you talk about taking ownership of your own life. You know, here's a guy who tried to get into Hollywood, wasn't getting anywhere and said, well, fuck it, I'm going to write a script then. Writes the script and puts himself in his own film. You forge your own destiny. And actually, I've been talking to my director about this. Um, the, the story of how he got Rocky made might even be better than the Rocky story. So actually, Google how Stallone, it's on YouTube, how he got Rocky made. He sells his dog. The studio didn't want to bet on him. It's it's a it's an amazing story. Beautiful. Speaking of dogs, mine's barking in the background. <laughs> All right. Um, the next question, is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Absolutely. Um, Steve Weatherford, and uh, I'll see what I can do to help you to get him on the show. And he's real big with the military and first responders. He's always posting stuff like that and supporting, by the way, to you know, make your answer come full circle from earlier. 
And anything I can do to help with that, James, I'm with you, brother. I love what you're doing on this show. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And like I said, you know, NFL, very, very admirable, but NFL player doing great things, you know, during and post career. I think that that to me is the kind of person that would be a great guest. I, I, I view people that way too as well, man. I'm the same way. It's like, well, you got success, but I'm looking for a different type of success and how are you using it, right, to give back. I, I like the way you think, man. Absolutely. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find all your online content, what do you do to decompress? Great question. I go to the beach. The beach, man. It's my happy place. And you want to talk about the most beautiful sens- sunsets in the world? Come to California. I've been fortunate enough to live in the Venice Canals, Hermosa Beach, and now Redondo. And it's just magical, man. But also, um, I pick up the phone call and I talk to a friend, man. Don't be scared to talk to a friend. You know, and I'm close enough with my friends. If they're, it's not a good time for them for me to talk to them about what I'm going through, they'll let me know. And I'll pick up the phone and find somebody else. But find a, find a safe space. For me, it's the beach. It's the gym. It's picking up the phone. Or it's writing down stuff. You know, I'm definitely not shy of typing or journaling. There's something beautiful of handwriting versus typing on your thumb with a text or, you know, a keyboard. But, you know, do what you can and express those thoughts, you know, but don't shy away from stop putting off what's bothering you, your fear, your anger. Face it. Get it over with. Learn from it, you know, and find out how great of a life you can live, you know, but you deserve to be happier. You deserve to feel joyful. You deserve to put in the effort to fight back against a little voice in your head that tries to sabotage you because it never goes away. But the more you can practice these good things that will fill up the cups that are important in your life, the easier it will be to fight back when it says, man, I don't feel like running today. No, honor your commitments. It's not about your feelings. Do what's good for you. And you will thank yourself and the people in your life that you care about, they're going to be grateful too. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Well, then the last question, if people want to find you on social media, if they want to find the app, where are the places to go? Yes. Yeah, so most importantly, um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I would love to hear any feedback of what you thought about the show, what your biggest takeaway was. And uh, if anything I can do to help you, please drop in my DM. I'm most active on Instagram at It's London Bro. And my name is London Papa Michael, where you can find me on Facebook. And I'm also on the app Playbook, where I have all my fitness stuff there. But just go to my Instagram and all my links for the beard, the clothing stuff, my boxer, and any other stuff is most active on my Instagram at It's London Bro. Beautiful. Well, London, I want to say thank you. I mean, I love these, you know, different conversations. I get a lot of people in the first responder space, in the tactical space, in the medical space. Um, but your journey is, you know, is very different, but there is so much for so many people to learn from each other. I mean, you know, we're all fundamentally human beings. We just went on these different obscure paths, but, uh, you know, to, to be vulnerable and courageous with your story and, and tell us about, you know, some of your darkest times and, and the kind of rising from the ashes element that came out of technically losing both parents, um, is inspiring. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Absolutely, James. It's been an honor. I found you through James Brolin. You know, I found his clip where you guys were talking and he said, you need people, man. And it just struck a chord to my soul and I had to get in touch with you. So if you guys believe in something, you believe in yourself and you feel like you could provide value, drop in people's DMs. That's how I've got most of my opportunities. People don't come chasing me down. I go reach out to them. I 
show support. I'm honest about who I am and seeing if they want to talk. Many people have turned me down and thankfully many people have kept an open mind. And now I'm so grateful we got connected, man. And, you know, I can't wait to continue to see what you do next, man. And uh, hopefully we can do some good in the world together. I think we just did, but uh, thank you for your show and what you're doing for people, man. I, I don't take it lightly. And, uh, uh, it's been an honor to be here with you, brother.